chapter fifteen of the story of eclipses this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kathleen the story of eclipses by george chambers eclipses of the moon general principles in dealing with eclipses generally but with more especial reference to eclipses of the sun in a previous chapter it was unavoidable to mix up in some degree eclipses of the moon with those of the sun there are however distinctions between the two phenomena which make it convenient to separate them as much as possible eclipses of the moon are like those of the sun divisible into partial and total eclipses but those words have a different application in regard to eclipses of the moon from what they have when eclipses of the sun are in question a little thought will soon make it clear why this should be the case a partial eclipse of the sun results from the visible body of the sun being in part concealed from us by the solid body of the moon and so in a total eclipse there is a total concealment of the one object by the other but when we come to deal with partial and total eclipses of the moon the situation is materially different the moon becomes invisible by passing into the dark shadows cast by the earth into space figure thirteen will make this clear without the necessity of much verbal explanation s represents the sun e the earth and m n the orbit of the moon it is obvious that whilst the moon is moving from m to n it becomes immersed in the earth's shadow but before actually reaching the shadow the moon passes through a point in its orbit at which it begins to lose the full light of the sun this is the entrance into the penumbra or partial shade similarly after the eclipse when the moon has emerged from the full shadow it does not all at once come into full sunshine but again passes through the stage of penumbral illumination and under such circumstances to speak in the style of old oh ireland the invisible moon is very often not invisible and the part partially eclipsed is often not eclipsed and when the moon is totally eclipsed it is frequently still visible of course the general idea involved in all cases of a body passing into the shadow of another body is that the body which so passes disappears because all direct light is cut off from it in the case however of a lunar eclipse this state of things is not always literally accomplished and very often some residual light reaches the moon of course from the sun with the result that traces of the moon may often be discerned the laws which govern this matter are very ill understood the fact remains that if we examine a series of reports of observed eclipses of the moon extending over many centuries and records exist which enable us to do this we shall find that in some instances when the moon was totally eclipsed in the technical sense of that word it was still perfectly visible whilst during other eclipses it absolutely and entirely disappeared from view such eclipses are sometimes spoken of as black eclipses of the moon but the phrase is not a happy one many instances of both kinds will be found mentioned in the chapter on historical lunar eclipses 
the different conditions of eclipses of the moon are illustrated by figure fourteen which must be studied with the aid of the remarks made in a former chapter concerning the apparent movements of the sun and moon and their nodal passages suffice it to state here that in figure fourteen a b represents the elliptic and c d the moon's path the three black circles are imaginary sections of the earth's shadow as cast when the earth is in three successive positions in the elliptic if when the earth's shadow is near a the moon should be at e and in conjunction with the earth the moon will escape eclipse if the conjunction takes place with both the earth's shadow and the moon a little further forward say at f the moon will be partially obscured but if the moon is at or very near its node as at g it will be wholly involved in the earth's shadow and a total eclipse will be the result in the case contemplated at g in the diagram the moon is concentrically placed with respect to the shadow but the eclipse will equally be total even though the two bodies are not concentrically disposed so long as the moon is wholly within the cone of the earth's shadow just as in the case of the sun so with the moon there are certain limits on the elliptic within which eclipses of the moon may take place other narrower limits within which they must take place and again other limits beyond which they cannot take place reverting to what has been said on a previous page with respect to these matters when an eclipse of the sun is in question it is only necessary to substitute for the word conjunction the word opposition and for eighteen and a half degrees and fifteen and a fourth degree of longitude the figures twelve and a half degree and nine and a fourth degree the limits in latitude will be one degree three minutes and zero degree fifty two minutes instead of one degree thirty four minutes and one degree twenty three minutes these substitutions made the general ideas and facts stated with regard to the conditions of an eclipse of the sun will apply also to the one of the moon it is to be noted that whereas eclipses of the sun always begin on the west side of the sun eclipses of the moon begin on the east side of the moon this difference arises from the fact that the sun's movement in the ecliptic is only apparent it being the earth which really moves whilst the moon's movement is real eclipses of the moon though more often and more widely visible than eclipses of the sun do not offer by any means the same variety of interesting or striking phenomena to the mere star-gazer and it was long thought that they were in a certain sense of no use to science now however astronomers are inclined to utilize them for determining the diameter of the moon by noting occultations of stars by the moon the duration of a star's invisibility behind an eclipsed moon being a measure of the lunar diameter when such an observation is properly transformed and reduced observations of the heat radiated or rather reflected by an eclipsed moon have also been made with the interesting result of showing that during an eclipse the moon's power to reflect solar heat to the earth sensibly declines 
the duration of an eclipse of the moon is dependent on its magnitude where the eclipse is total the darkness or what counts for such may last for nearly four hours though this is an extreme limit rarely attained an eclipse of from six to twelve digits to use the old-fashioned nomenclature which has been already explained will continue from two and a half to three and a half hours an eclipse of three to six digits will last two or three hours and a smaller eclipse only one or two hours the visual observations to be made in connection with partial or total eclipses of the moon chiefly relate to the appearances presented by our satellite when immersed in the earth's shadow on such occasions as has been already stated it frequently happens that the moon does not wholly disappear but may be detected either with a telescope or even without one it may exhibit either a dull gray appearance or more commonly a pinkish-red hue to which the designation coppery is generally applied perhaps the most remarkable instance of this was the eclipse of march nineteenth eighteen forty eight mr forster who observed the phenomena at bruges thus describes what he saw i wish to call your attention to the fact which i have clearly ascertained that during the whole of the late eclipse of march nineteen the shaded surface presented a luminosity quite unusual probably about three times the intensity of the mean illumination of the eclipsed lunar disk the light was of a deep red color during the totality of the eclipse the light and dark spaces on the face of the moon could be almost as well made out as on an ordinary dull moonlight night and the deep red color where the sky was clearer was very remarkable from the contrasted whiteness of the stars my observations were made with different telescopes but all presented the same appearance and the remarkable luminosity struck everyone the british consul at ghent who did not know there was an eclipse wrote to me for an explanation of the blood-red color of the moon at nine o'clock on striking contrast to this stands the total eclipse of october fourth eighteen eighty four which is described by mr e j stone as much the darkest that i have ever seen and just before the instant of totality it appeared as if the moon's surface would be invisible to the naked eye during totality but such was not the case for with the last appearance of the bright reflected sunlight there appeared a dim circle of light around the moon's disk and the whole surface became faintly visible and continued so until the end of totality a total eclipse of the moon which happened on january twenty eighth eighteen eighty eight was observed in many places under exceptionally favorable circumstances as regards weather the familiar copper color is spoken of by many observers the rev s j perry makes mention of patches of color even as bright as brick red almost orange in the brighter parts and this twenty minutes before the total phase began mr perry conducted on this occasion spectroscopic observations for the first time on an eclipsed moon but no special results were obtained various explanations have been offered for these diversities of appearance undoubtedly they depend upon differences in the condition of the earth's atmosphere such as the unusual presence or unusual absence of aqueous vapor 
but it cannot be said that the laws which control these diversities are by any means capable of being plainly enunciated notwithstanding that the explanation generally in vogue dates from as far back as the time of kepler he suggested that the coppery hue was a result of the refraction of the earth's atmosphere which had the effect of bending the solar rays passing through it so that they impinged upon the moon even when the earth was actually interposed between the sun and the moon that the outstanding rays which became visible are red may be considered due to the fact that the blue rays are absorbed in passing through the terrestrial atmosphere just as both the eastern and western skies are frequently seen to assume a ruddy hue when illuminated in the morning or evening by the solar rays at or near sunrise or sunset owing to the variable meteorological condition of our atmosphere the actual quantity of light transmitted through it is liable to considerable fluctuations and no wonder therefore that variations occur in the appearances presented by the moon during her immersion in the earth's shadow it has been suggested that if the portion of the earth's atmosphere through which the sun's rays have to pass is tolerably free from aqueous vapor the red rays will be almost wholly absorbed but not the blue rays and the resulting illumination will either only render the moon's surface visible with a grayish blue tinge or not visible at all this will yield the black eclipse to recall the phrase quoted elsewhere if on the other hand the region of the earth's atmosphere through which the sun's rays pass be highly saturated it will be the blue rays which suffer absorption whilst the red rays will be transmitted and will impart a ruddy hue to the moon finally if the earth's atmosphere is in a different condition in different places saturated in some parts and not in others a piebald sort of effect will be the result and some portions of the moon's disk will be invisible whilst others will be more or less illuminated further illustrations of all these three alternatives will be found amongst the eclipses of the moon recorded in the chapter devoted to historical matters a few instances are on record of a curious spectacle connected with the eclipses of the moon which must have a word of mention i refer to the simultaneous visibility of the sun and the moon above the horizon the moon at the time being eclipsed at the first blush of the thing this would seem to be an impossibility remembering that it is a cardinal principle of eclipses both of the sun and of the moon that the three bodies must be in the same straight line in order to constitute an eclipse the anomalous spectacle just referred to is simply the result of the refraction exercised by the earth's atmosphere the setting sun which has actually set has apparently not done so but is displaced upwards by refraction on the other hand the rising moon which has not actually risen is displaced upwards by refraction and so becomes as it were prematurely visible in other words refraction retards the apparent setting of one body the sun and accelerates the apparent rising of the other body the moon the effect of these two displacements will be to bring the two bodies closer by more than one degree of a great circle than they really are this being the conjoint amount of the double displacements due to refraction amateur observers of eclipses of the moon will find some pleasure 
and profit as well and having before them on the occasion of an eclipse a picture of the moon's surface in diagrammatic form with a few of the principal mountains marked thereon and then watching from time to time say by quarters of an hour the successive encroachments of the earth's shadow on the moon's surface and the gradual covering up of the larger mountains as the shadow moves forward the curved lines represent the gradual progress of the shadow during the eclipse named this diagram ignoring the curved lines actually marked on it may be used over and over again for any number of eclipses simply noting from the nautical almanac or other suitable ephemerides the points on the moon's disc at which the shadow first touches the disc as it comes on and last touches the disc as it goes off the almanac indicates these points by stating that the eclipse begins or ends as the case may be at a point which is so many degrees from the north point of the moon measured round the moon's circumference by the east or by the west as the case may be one other point and we have disposed of eclipses of the moon the shadow which we see creeping over the moon during an eclipse is as we know the shadow cast by the earth if we notice it attentively we shall see that its outline is curved and that it is in fact a complete segment of a circle moreover that the circularity of this shadow is maintained from first to last so far as we are able to follow it what is this then but a proof of the rotundity of the earth the shape of the earth's shadow on the moon during a lunar eclipse was suggested as a proof of the rotundity of the earth by two old greek astronomers Manilius and cleomedes who lived about two thousand years ago and is one more illustration of the great powers of observation and the general acuteness of the natural philosophers of antiquity end of eclipses of the moon general principles